0: I'm Galit Kounitz. And I'm Jackie Wilson. And you're listening to Double Read Dish, a podcast for oboists, bassoonists, and the people who love them. We are here at Miami University Bassoon Day with the maker of the
1: magic, the real deal, the powerhouse. (laughs) We are here with Emily Prohaska, bassoon student, who organized this bassoon day as her honors project. Welcome Emily. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Tell us a little bit about why you started the Bassoon Day in the first place.
2: So I'm a senior here at Miami studying um, bassoon performance and arts management. So I have two majors and I'm a member of the honors program and I was interested in pursuing an honors with distinction project. Um, and I wanted something that combined combined both my passions for playing bassoon and my arts management interests. And so I thought why not a bassoon day and the idea came to me in the spring and I kind of formulated over the over the summer months but um, I was thinking you know IDRS only rolls around once a year and for students like me it's kind of uh, an inconvenient to fly to like Granada, Spain, or a location like that to engage in master classes, meet with vendors, network, that sort of thing. So I thought there needed to be some sort of location in the area that was more accessible to students of all ages. And today we have high school students here, middle school students, college students, and graduate students, and then just professionals, local freelancers. And so I wanted a venue and a space and a location that would be accessible to a lot of people that could that could come and experience these things outside of an international conference. Um, so I decided to present the idea to the honors program and to Dr. Reynolds, and I asked him to be my advisor for the project, and we just um, went to town planning it this summer, and it's just been a continuing process. And when you dreamed the dream of dreams, <laughs> what what did you
0: think of to include in this <laughs> all-star lineup that you have here
2: well my first request uh was i think i was scrolling through facebook one day and i saw of course i'm a huge fan of your podcast series go (laughs) on (laughs) and um the very first thing that uh we formulated on the schedule was this live podcast series and i saw your like Um, post on Facebook. And um, I said, Dr. Reynolds, we need to pursue this. So I I texted him like immediately when I saw you, uh, your post and he was all for it and um, followed up. And we are so thrilled to have you here. It's really, really exciting. So you have the ultimate
0: podcast divas here, but how did you formulate the other events that you wanted to, (laughs) I mean, once you got the most important part out of the way, then how did you go about uh, formulating the rest of the day?
2: Well, of course, nothing can compare to this, so <laughs> correct. Everything else is just a letdown. No, <laughs> just kidding. We, um, we're we really lucky to have everyone involved here. Keith Bunkey, who is principal bassoonist in the Chicago Symphony, is with us, and he will be giving a master class and performing later this afternoon. We were thinking, who would be a an artist that, you know, maybe students wouldn't have access to meeting? Hmm. And Dr. Reynolds is good friends with Keith. They went to Interlochen Arts Academy um, together and have studied with some of the same teachers. And he pitched him the idea, and he was all for it. And we're absolutely um, thrilled to have him here. So really the idea was trying to find somebody that uh, students maybe wouldn't get to interact with if they were on a college visit or a, at a summer festival and that sort of thing. So we're really lucky um, to have to have him. And then uh, many fabulous vendors are here with us today, and we're very thankful for them giving up their time and coming, and uh, it's really an exciting schedule. So a little bit ago we were hanging out backstage, and we were talking
0: about your next steps, and you are right in the middle of of the intense process of applying for graduate schools. We have a lot of student listeners Mm -hmm. who will go through this, are currently going through this. So um, talk to us a little bit about your experience and maybe give those students some words of encouragement um, during this time. Everyone's got to go through it, but you're in the middle of it, so we want your perspective.
2: Yeah, that's that's great. So I have one more audition left. I've already had five, and I think my best piece of advice is to – Start the process early, first of all. I think there's a lot of, I've already been through actually two rounds of these auditions because I applied for my undergraduate degree as well. And I think uh, visiting the schools, taking lessons with the professor is just as important in graduate school as it is in undergraduate school, really getting a sense for the the program um, and developing that relationship. So starting early is really important. Um, I think also, trying to learn as much about the program as you can interacting with other graduate students that are already studying there. I've spent a couple of days at all the schools that I've applying have been applying to trying to listen to concerts, um, take lessons, meet students. I think that's really important. And my best piece of advice is no matter what the results, um, it will work out in the end. It's a very stressful time, but I think you're putting in the work and you're developing those relationships. And I, I like to believe that everything happens for a reason. So Uh, I think the universe will work out that way so we'll see where I end up but it's exciting it's beautiful and what are you gonna
1: do for self-care when this is all tied up in a neat little bow and you have some time to relax
2: So as soon as my last, my last audition is next weekend. And um, as soon as that is over, I think I'm going to take a day off and definitely watch some Netflix, um, spend time with my family, uh, my pets, um, hike. I'm like really into being outdoors. So maybe take a walk if it's warm enough, bike, um, just do something relaxing and not bassoon related. I will not be opening my bassoon case for a day, but then after that, it's back to recital planning and practicing. So perfect.
0: Well, Emily, we can't wait to watch you take over the bassoon world That's and see right. all the amazing things that are going to come. And, you know, once you're a colleague, welcome you on Double Marie Dish.
2: Thank you. <laughs> that was so nice. Thanks for interviewing me.
1: So in this next segment, of our podcast, we would like to invite up the host of this Bassoon Day, Ryan Reynolds. Let's give him a round of applause. We love to start by asking how you came to the bassoon in the first place.
3: Oh, yeah. So my my story is a little bit different than a lot of people's. Uh, I uh, had a middle school band director for a father. So I knew I was going to do music no matter what. It was inevitable. I wasn't particularly hot on the idea. Uh, He had about 10 trumpets sitting in a closet just waiting for me, right? (laughs) And I remember when I was in fifth grade hearing the uh, sixth graders, they gave us a concert so that we could hear what the instruments sounded like and we could choose accordingly. And either I had a really poor ear at the time or the bassoonist was really bad because... I thought the bassoon only played one note, and I thought that would just be the easiest thing to do. (laughs) You know, if I had to do it, I I can just sit there and play one note over and over. (laughs) I figured out pretty quickly that there were about three and a half octaves of notes, and uh, the challenge of it is what actually became fun and addicting.
0: So talk to us about um, where you went to school, your education and training journey. How did you get to where you are today?
3: Sure, I was uh, really, really fortunate to grow up in northern Michigan, uh, just about two hours away from the Interlochen Arts Academy. And I ended up going there for all four years of my high school and studied with uh, Eric Stomberg. And uh, while I was there, I also met uh, Jeff Lyman, who now teaches at the University of Michigan. So I ended up in Michigan for my bachelor's and master's degrees. Uh, funnily enough, also at Interlaken I met Jeff Kieseker who teaches bassoon at Florida State and that's where I ended up pursuing my doctorate Uh, so I guess uh, really my whole life began freshman year of uh, Interlaken Arts Academy
0: yeah we can't help but notice your Michigan colored shoes do you feel a conflict, an internal conflict (laughs) teaching in Ohio at all?
3: (laughs) no no I don't (laughs) No, but, but, but one of the fun things about being a Michigan alumni is just participating in all the swag that they put out. Uh, <laughs> that that the Nike Jordan contract that they have, uh, it makes for great Christmas gifts. Okay. So.
1: <laughs> so, can you tell us more about why you decided to pursue teaching the bassoon on a collegiate level?
3: Sure. Um, So when I got into college, I was pretty aimless. I mean, uh, and you wouldn't necessarily expect that, given that I spent four years of high school studying music pretty intensely. But um, when I got to Michigan, I had it in my head that I wanted to be a creative writer. I came full circle, got really into bassoon again, and then I'm also part of a group called the Acropolis Reed Quintet, and a big part of our mission professionally is to do educational and community outreach activities in Detroit and just sort of the greater world. And in doing that, in getting to explore those kinds of opportunities, I realized that uh, not only was I okay at teaching just as a baseline, but I had a real taste for it, and I loved the act of teaching. and. Seeing students grow, seeing myself grow from it, right? I mean, as a teacher, you're challenging yourself to learn more and more and accumulate more knowledge. And it just seemed to be the kind of track that I found joy in. And uh, once I realized that, my life became very clear and I knew I wanted to be a pedagogue.
0: So as a member of Acropolis Winds, talk to us about how chamber music has added to you as a musician, what you get from it, what the benefits are. Um, when I was a high schooler, I pretty much did maybe a woodwind quintet to get ready for solo and ensemble, but it wasn't a part of my musical identity. Yeah. Talk to us about that.
3: Well, uh, chamber music, I, I personally, and I, I don't want to step on anybody, any band director's feet here or anything like that, but I think chamber music is this, like, exceptional laboratory for exploring all kinds of learning. So there's musical, uh, technical... Uh, but also interpersonal. You have to collaborate with other musicians and figure out how to get along, plan rehearsals, be on the same page, communicate. These are all a lot of things that you don't necessarily get in a typical college experience. But when you're locked in a room rehearsing a few times a week with the same people every time, uh, you're going to rub up against each other, and that's life. And you've <laughs> got to learn how to deal with it. Uh, and then, and then beyond that, it's portable. So it's something that, that I, or as a member of the group, can pick up and take with us around the world. I've gotten to see all kinds of places. I've played in the Middle East, in Abu Dhabi, in Germany, uh, Juneau, Alaska, which I know is the U.S., but it feels like a foreign country, uh, all because of chamber music. So, uh, you know, for anybody in the audience that uh, is looking at going into college or is in college currently, and you just haven't dived into, you know, your wind quintet or or Reed quintet, perhaps. Uh, I, I really can't encourage it enough, and and that's why we try to do things here, like have the Bassoon Quartet. Uh, you know, they do exceptional work and a lot of it every week, and that they, they, I know they get a lot from it, and that's the whole point.
1: Mm-hmm. One of my favorite questions to ask is, can you share with us an Embarrassing moment that happened to you on stage?
3: Sure, uh, there's so many. Oh
1: <laughs> How do you choose?
3: So uh, the the first one that comes to mind, I'll skip over all that. I left my music off stage, kind of thing. This happened about twenty. Um, <laughs> but uh, so w- with Acropolis, there are a couple of us in the group that usually present the concerts from the stage. We inform the audience about the pieces we play, talk about the composers. And uh, it's nothing difficult. I'm usually pretty good at just talking about music. And uh, there was just this concert that we were playing in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. And uh, I think it was around election time, so I might have been like stressed out or something. But I was up there on stage and started talking about Gershwin's An American in Paris, a speech I have given like a hundred times. And I got to the middle of it and completely forgot everything I had rehearsed for like the prior two years I had no idea what I was going to say next and I left it on a cliffhanger like the really interesting thing is
0: nothing Nothing
3: I literally had nothing and I looked to the group and I said guys I'm sorry I'm froze the audience is
0: like cool sounds like a great piece <laughs> yeah exactly it's,
3: uh, but fortunately it's only ever happened the one time Better, better me talking than when I'm playing bassoon, I suppose.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, we have a firm stance in this family, mm-hmm. but we need to ask you the really um, big, important question now—the real deal. All right. Beyonce or Lady Gaga? Lady Gaga. Oh. Uh, off the stage with you. <laughs> Goodbye. Thank you, Ryan. For- <laughs> Cool. So for our next segment, we want to bring out someone who, I think he's okay at the bassoon. Right. I've heard he's fine. <laughs> so will you please welcome to double-read Dish stage Keith Bunky Principal Bassoon of the Chicago Symphony.
1: Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> so,
0: so the audience already heard our favorite question to start with. How did you begin playing the bassoon?
4: Uh, so my first instrument was piano which my mom kind of uh, started my sister and I on um, I think I was like seven and then I played cello for a few years starting at age nine like fourth grade of starting an orchestra and I wasn't super into either one of those instruments um, didn't really kindle the musical fire in, inside of me so much um, but then uh, I, I listened to some recordings of the uh, Brandenburg Contreras, specifically the first one which actually has bassoon in it and an oboe as well and I, um, so I really was attracted to the sound of those wing instruments and um, so then like, I went home and looked looked up both the oboe and the bassoon in the encyclopedia and um, the bassoonist, like in the picture in the encyclopedia looked really relaxed, <laughs> was <just> comfortable
1: How <laughs> oh, the oboeists look
4: <laughs> <laughs> Well, the oboist look like really red in
1: the <laughs> <laughs>
4: uncomfortable, so I think that maybe that influenced me to uh, play the, the student but and then we were able to find a private teacher and then pretty soon was in 6th grade band and so forth.
1: So, tell us a little bit more about your educational journey, your training, and maybe more about how you got to where you are today.
4: Sure, yeah, so uh, it's uh, it was really interesting to hear uh, Ryan talk about his uh with Interlock and that's something that we we have in common that we share. I, actually, I met Ryan, I think we first met at the Interlochen Bassoon Institute back in 2008. And uh, so uh, I had uh, you know really good private teachers. You know, started with studying with Mark Eubanks in Portland, Oregon. He was a uh, previous uh, principal bassoonist at the Oregon Symphony. Um, so he got me off on a really good foot. And then I went to Interlochen for my junior and senior years of high school. So my last, last two years of high school, and I also studied with Dr. Eric Stomberg, and um, that, I think I think when I got there, that's when I really kind of started getting serious about, like, music in general and also, like, playing the bassoon, and it, it was a great, like, environment for me just to kind of, like, kind of get obsessed with it and, and really um, kind of dive, take a deeper dive into it. Yeah, okay, so then from Interloch and I went to Curtis Institute of Music, uh, and... I, let's see, so I, I went there at the normal age of uh, 18 after, after graduating from norwalk and um, I spent, I ended up spending three years there, I um, auditioned for the Atlanta Symphony, this was the beginning of my third year at Curtis, and, you know, I think no one really expects to win an audition, obviously, um, but, uh, you know, if that I, I got to the uh, trials with that, and, and um, That that year was kind of uh, you know spent um, I think really kind of gearing up for that like getting ready for that trial process and everything and so it it ended up being a pretty long drawn out process but then uh, so then I started with the Atlanta Symphony um, right after my third year from out of Curtis and then um, kind of during my first season first and only season with the Atlanta Symphony I. Um, the CSO position opened up, and uh, you know, obviously that's a pretty unique opportunity. So I so I went for that and um, and uh, and won that in January, um, and then I've now been with the CSO for I think it's my fourth season now. Um,
0: Great, and we want to dive more into the process of auditioning and yeah. um, preparing, but first we need to know what gif most accurately portrays how you felt after winning your principal bassoon audition in the Chicago Symphony Orchestra.
4: Very oh, important question. So the three choices here. Yes,
0: uh-huh. which most accurately describes your feelings? Oh
4: gosh, you know, uh, probably uh, probably the upper left. Okay. <laughs> You know, it's funny. I mean, I am I'm not the most like outward, so I'm definitely not the elf. (laughs) And I wasn't so cocky as to be the woman in the upper right. So
0: (laughs) (laughs) her name is Beyonce. <laughs>
4: <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, to be honest, I, I think it actually kind of like the news—it sort of hit me later. Like it was sort of delayed a delayed effect. It wasn't like right away. I was, was just sort of like stunned more than anything.
0: Right. That's amazing. So you talked about getting obsessed. Was the phrase you used? And you were able. A lot of us go to complete our undergrad, go to graduate school, sometimes multiple degrees in order to get the professional training that we need to enter the field and make a living. Mm-hmm. And you were able to bypass a lot of those years that most people put in. Mm-hmm. So I want to hear about your, um, the level of intensity, the approach, and how... We can't see how you get those results, but in retrospect, what contributed to being able to bypass those years that many people have to put in?
4: Yeah, it's an interesting question. Um, I think, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's interesting. I mean, I, I uh, again, I think it was all, like, it, I think like with anything, it's just like you, you, just, you just have to sort of follow your, your passion and what really drives you. And, um, you know, I would just encourage like anyone, like, you know, find what you're, Really passionate in and, and, and really go with it and and um, and pursue it. Um, I guess you know I think it's partly like a personality type. I think like I kind of uh, thrive in that kind of like focusing on one singular thing and really kind of diving deep into it. Um, I think you know I it's I, I think it's you know it's a fortunate mix of like again like really good teachers like kind of all the way growing up like having like really good. You know, uh, support from my parents and, and those kind of resources. You know, being in an environment like Interlock and I think, you know, it's a it's a tool like that. You know, you can kind of uh, you know waste waste the time or you know, the, the resources that that you get at a place like that, um, or you know, Curtis or anywhere. But it is, I think, um, you know, I just, I just remember like like go to the library, like check a bunch of like recordings and scores and. Um, that was the first you know I think like like Dr. Staubert he was really good about enforcing that like it's not just about the bassoon mm-hmm. just kind of getting getting a grasp of like kind of like orchestral music like chamber music and um, just kind of getting out of the I think a lot of times what can happen to us is like we get this myopic sort of view of like you know the bassoon or the oboe or whatever we instrument we play and And I think, like, all of us, like, we, uh, you know, when we start out on the instrument, it's like, it's normal to, like, really be passionate about, like, the music for that instrument, but then it's like, you have to listen to other types of music and and sort of develop yourself as a musician overall. So I think I, you know, I I sort of got a quick, quick grasp of that kind of early on. Um, And yeah, so I think think it's a, a mix of all those things. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't know, you know I, it's 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 kind of hard to say like why someone would like sort of get focused or get their head in the game like earlier rather than later. Mm-hmm. I think uh, there's plenty of successful people that have um you know are, are you know, bloom later, mm-hmm. right So
0: yeah, I remember when we had Christopher Millard on, he said he felt there was a direct connection between the students who would study scores and recordings. And the students who were the most successful, there was a direct link between that work.
4: Totally. I mean, it totally gets reflected in how you play and like how you approach anything. I mean, no matter what kind of music you're playing. But especially excerpts, it's like having that kind of knowledge of the context and, and what it sounds like when you're playing the orchestra.
1: Right. I would love to hear more about your process preparing for these auditions, Atlanta and Chicago.
4: Sure. Um... Let's see. I mean I you know, I think I ended up spending like like between like four and six weeks of like really yeah, you know, like that was like the only thing I was work working on the, the primary thing and um really like every day, you know, like spending several hours yeah. and like on all you know each of the excerpts and I you know I, I sort of developed like a, a few different techniques that really helped me. I think like um putting like metronome markings like on the calendar and, like, sort of saying, like, okay, this is, like, the goal tempo I want to get to, like, say, like, a week before the audition, and kind of ramp it up and then like, certain, like, key excerpts, especially, like, Marriage of figure Re- or Revolve, piano Concerto, like, touch it, like, like, every day or, like, every other day, rather than, like, trying to do it a bunch, like, like, do it, like, one or two hours in one practice session. I think, for me, that was proved more effective, um, kind of having that gradual, Ramp up of the of the speed of the excerpts, um, and then I I always like I found it really helpful like recording myself. I remember specifically for the Chicago audition, I would uh, like at the end of kind of the, the day my practice day, I would as made like a bag full of like the, all the excerpts, you know, on individual pieces of paper, and so like I would just pick them at random and play like a little mini sort of mock audition for myself, just my living room, and, um, you know, do like part of the solo, like a movement of the solo piece, and then like five or six excerpts, and then like play it all through, you know, like as if you were actually playing it in the audition setting. Then like I would go back and like listen and like take notes, and then like, ooh, now I have this stuff to work on for tomorrow or the next review, whenever I come back to that um, particular excerpt. Um, and then I, I did. I, I found it useful um, to actually play live. You know, like in a space like this would be great.
3: Mm-hmm. You know,
4: play for your colleagues, play for teachers, people that you respect. Like you're, you know, you're can really take their comments to heart. I found that uh, uh, really helpful. If, if only for the experience of just do uh, live performing, like just kind of um, being under the gun and just having to play the excerpt. You know, in a you know, slightly uncomfortable kind of situation.
0: Well, that that's, it brings us to our, our next question, because um, I remember really idealizing, especially when I was younger, people with gigantic jobs, right? And I, would be, I wouldn't be surprised if there was someone in the room who assumes you don't get nervous, right? Mm. So our next question, which gift most accurately <laughs> uh, <laughs> represents how you feel just before taking the stage to play a big solo?
4: <laughs> um, hmm. <laughs> I probably close. but like on the right, <laughs> but but then you know it's interesting. I think you the bring it on in the top left. I I think you kind of have to. I or I I think I've gotten better over the years, or more and more cultivated that like you sort of. It's almost like you put on a costume. Mm-hmm. Are you? um you know, fake it till you make it, you know, you sort of have to override that uh, sort of uh, fight or flight response, you know, but I I mean, totally, I, I mean, like, that that still uh, happens to me. Yeah, it, it sort of diminishes over time, I think, just uh, naturally with, with experience and, like, playing with a, you know, great orchestra like Chicago City will definitely, like, get you that, like, experience and kind of... You know, uh, maybe harden you up a little bit, but, you know, I mean, like that, that kind of, uh, that, you know, soul or something. It, 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 there's always an element there, for sure.
1: What advice would you give to a young musician to, who aspires to have a career like yours? I <laughs>
4: think what what I tell my students a lot um, is, I think specifically uh, my teacher, at Curtis, uh, Daniel monson he was really good about this, like, Talking about how you have, like, two halves to your yourself as a bassoonist and musician. So, like, one half is, like, the instrumentalist, like, the bas- bassoonist, like, you know, you've got the, the remaking and the you know, practicing the scales, practicing fundamentals, and, and, like, just, like, getting better at the instrument, um, specifically. And then the other equally important half is, is yourself as a musician. And, um, you know, that kind of goes back to what I was talking about earlier about, you know listening to different recordings and you know um, being curious about like scores and the different composers and all this stuff you know like going you know i think the great thing like like being in school is like you can you know go to all these different like live performances you know go to performances of your colleagues i think that's that's really really important and, and always like you know never taking it for granted like really being present as you can be and and, and being uh Critical too of, of what you're um, listening to, so I think and and I I love to sing a lot. You know, I love to like at when I'm at home as kind of a, another sort of practice tool. Um, I I feel like that helps me conceptualize like how I want the music to sound, and then um, then I tr- you know try and it always comes short, obviously, but I try to. Um, any like that on, on the bassoon, so, and then, you know, of course, like, the, like, the consistent, like, hard work and, um, dedication, like, that's the most important thing, it's like, you know, what you do every day is more important than what you do, you know, once in a while, right? mm-hmm. it's like, you know, the, the consistent, like, scales and, like, long tones and all, all that kind of good stuff, um, you know, it's like you build it brick by brick. You know? mm
0: mm-hmm. Last question. You uh, put in the work and then you reap the reward. Which gift most accurately represents how you feel after you have done a great job on a big solo? Uh.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, I I would say it's a mix of King of the World and... (laughs) <laughs> flopping on the <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm not sure what the, the Stewie, Stewie that. <laughs> <laughs>
0: He
4: sort of looks like PTSD
0: <laughs> cool, so that's our live show for today, thank you for- to the Miami University Bassoon Studio Dr. Reynolds, Keith Bunkett and you all for joining us today don't forget to go to Double Read Dish to find out more about what we do
1: Jackie, yeah. time to end this great. don't make great <laughs>